0: And welcome to Web Crawlers, the podcast where we do a deep dive into some of our favorite mysteries. Each week, we will introduce our topic, lay out our research and findings, reveal some conspiracy theories, and conclude with our own hypothesis. I'm Allie Siegel. I'm Melissa Stetton,
2: And i producer Maria.
0: Melissa, who are our patrons for today? We have A.D. Brandt, Heather, and Kate. Welcome to the team, folks so excited to have you here Melissa yes. i have, I've never heard of this so I'm excited what is our episode about today
2: well you have heard of this because oh, fascinating back, it, back in September <laughs> <laughs> we were Amberlea from Oregon called and suggested that we do an episode about this because her oh family, yes okay I believe still lives in there I'll play a little bit of her voicemail hi
1: again again, my family and I were talking, and we would love for you guys to do an episode on the ketty Cabin murders, um mostly because like my family has really close ties um to ketty itself. Um, I have some distant family that owns ketty still to this day um, and you know, it would just be a really cool show to cover.
2: so yeah, and then she was calling every week with like little details about the murder. She's like, I'm going to call until you guys do an episode on Oh, my God, God
0: yes. It. Now I remember
2: this. So I was like, oh, yeah, let's do an episode on it. And it's crazy. It's a crazy story. Oh, my God. So that's what we're talking about today, baby.
0: Cannot wait. Cool.
2: So between April 11th and April 12th, 1981, Glenna Sue Sharp and three others were brutally killed in the resort town of Keddie, California. And to this day, the murders remain unsolved or do they? (gasps) Oh, let's (laughs) get into it. (laughs) Okay. So on the morning of April 12th, 1981, Sheila Sharp returned to her home at cabin 28 in the Keddie resorts in California from the next door neighbor's house. And Ketty is it's like twenty miles north of Lake Tahoe in NorCal. Very mm. nice area up there. So Sheila, she's 14. And then what she discovered inside the house is one of like the most grisly murder scenes in American crime history. Oh Jesus. And it became known as the gruesome Ketty Murders. So inside this cabin were the bodies of her mom, Sue Sharp, her teenage brother, John, and his high school friend, Dana Wingate. The three of them were tied by medical and electrical tape, and they had been stabbed, strangled, and bludgeoned. And Sheila's sister, 12-year-old Tina Sharp, was missing. Oh, no. Weirdly enough, in a bedroom... It was, it was a two-bedroom cabin, and in one of the bedrooms, there were the two youngest sharp boys, Ricky and Greg, and they had a friend over, their neighbor, 12-year-old Justin. They were sleeping. They were unharmed. They had slept through this entire thing. That's crazy. Happened, it happened like feet from their beds.
0: How is that possible? I don't know. Maybe they were knocked out. They were like chloroformed or something. Who, who knows? But they were totally unharmed
2: when like inside this house was just like this bloody murder scene. So the Sharp family, they had just moved into this cabin number 28 the year before. Sue had divorced her husband because he was abusive, brought her children from Connecticut to Ketty, And there were six of them. So the mom, Sue, 36, she had a 15-year-old son, John. She had a 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, 12-year-old daughter, Tina, 10-year-old Rick, 5-year-old Greg. So she had five kids, single mom. And they were like super friendly with their neighbors at this Keddy resort. So the night before the murders, Sheila, who's 14, she stayed over at a friend's house down the street. And then John and his 17-year-old friend Dana had hitchhiked to a nearby town of Quincy for a party and then came back that night remember
0: hitchhiking back in the 80s (laughs) so crazy people just do that so freely yeah these were like teenagers too uh tina the 12 year old
2: had briefly joined her sister at the neighbors before returning home to her mother her two younger brothers and one of the neighbor boys justin smart so sheila 14 year old she got home the next morning she saw her mother brother and his friend murdered on the living room floor she like ran out of the house back to the neighbor's house and her friend's dad went, to, went through the house, went back into the house to see what was going on. And that's when he found the three unharmed boys. And so he took them out through the bedroom window so they didn't have to go Jesus. through the house to see the, the horrific, bloody scene. Yeah. So the murders were, like, insanely violent. And the investigators were called about an hour after Sheila discovered her whole family Deputy Hank Clement was the first to arrive on the scene and he reported blood everywhere on the walls, the bottoms of the victim's shoes, uh, Sue's bare feet, the bedding in Tina's room, the furniture, the ceilings, the doors, and on the back steps. Like There was just blood everywhere. So they assumed that this amount of blood suggested that The victims had been moved and rearranged from the positions in which they were murdered. Fucking weird. Like they must have just been like dragged around the house. So John, who's 15, he was closest to the front door. He was face up. His hands were covered in blood and tied with medical tape. His throat had been slit. His friend Dana was on the floor beside him on his stomach and his head was badly damaged Like it was bashed in with like a blunt object and he had been strangled. Oh
0: my God. And his
2: ankles were tied with electrical wire, which was also tied around John's ankles. So these two boys were like tied together. And Sheila's mom had been covered with a blanket. And on her side, she was naked from the waist down. She was gagged with a bandana and her own underwear was tied around her and with medical tape. And she had the imprint of the butt of an 880 pellet gun on the side of her head. So assuming that someone like hit her with the bottom of a gun and her throat was also cut. Horrific. Insane. Oh my God. So all the victims had suffered blunt force trauma by hammers and they also had stab wounds. There was a bent steak knife on the floor. There was a butcher knife, a claw hammer. And it was just just everything, just like shit laying around everywhere. It's like the purge in there. This is crazy. But it would take the police hours to realize that the fourth victim, Tina, the 12-year-old, was missing. So after it was discovered that Tina was missing, the FBI arrived on the scene. And the sheriff at the time of the murders, Doug Thomas his deputy Lieutenant Don Stoy were like not able to figure out the motive. It just appeared to be this like random killing murder, must like broken in and killed them. Like they couldn't figure out who did it or why. Also, there was no forced entry in the home. So the detectives did find an unidentified fingerprint from a handrail on the back stairs and the cabin's telephone had been left off the hook All the lights had been shut off, and all the drapes were closed. But what's more confusing is that these three youngest boys were not only untouched, but they were just completely unaware of anything happening. That's so crazy. Even though a woman and her boyfriend in the cabin next door awoke around 1.30 a.m. to what they described were muffled screams.
0: I wake up when the freezer makes more ice and drops it down. Like, how Me do you too. not how do you not wake up when there's a brutal murder next to you? I don't know. That's it not like you were no drugged sense. or something. You're you were conked out or you did it. Like, That's insane.
2: Yeah, it's really crazy. So these neighbors who heard the screams, they couldn't figure out where they were coming from. So they went back to bed. <laughs> If you hear screams at one, just call in the, morning, the cops. Just call the cops.
4: <laughs> yeah. That's all you got to do. Just call the yeah. cops. Like that call happened the chief of
2: police. A
4: few months ago,
2: like <laughs> we woke up and heard like screaming at like two a.m. and I was like, "Well, we got to go see what it is." So like we just looked out the window and it just ended up being like you know some crazy person in the middle of the street screaming. So we were like,
0: okay. "I'm not crazy, Melissa." <laughs> yeah, it was Allie in the middle of the street. Like, it's just Allie.
2: She's just, just, just Allie's at it again. again.
4: She's doing Pushing
0: her night her shopping cart, <laughs> yeah. screaming.
2: But like, you gotta, you can't ignore screams at two in the morning. Like, what are you doing? No, you especially can't do in that. this like small little cabin village. Yeah, where you know the neighbors, you can't avoid screams in the woods. <sighs> can't avoid screams in the woods. So, however, though the three boys initially claimed to have slept through it. Ricky and Greg's friend, Justin Smart, did later say that he saw the mom, Sue, with two men in the house that night. One reportedly had a mustache and long hair. The other was clean-shaven with short hair, but they both had glasses, and one of the men had a hammer. Mm. So he said that John and Dana, the two older boys who were murdered, entered the home and argued with the men, and they all got into a fight. And then Tina, the 12-year-old who's missing, was allegedly taken out the cabin's back door by one of the men. This is what this kid said later, after he was like, oh, I didn't hear anything. Weird. Yeah. And allegedly, a lot of potential evidence was collected at the scene, but because this was 81, like pre-DNA testing, there was no, they couldn't get any info from it. So they collected all this evidence, but they couldn't do anything with it. Uh so then, the sheriff called the Sacramento Department of Justice, Justice, which then sent in two special agents from their organized crime unit. Ooh, not the homicide unit, which which people thought was very peculiar. Like you're sending in oh, a like crime? mafia stuff, like Uh-oh. organized crime. Yeah, oh,
0: yeah, like Don well, Corleone. Well, or Bugsy Siegel
2: to something. okay so yeah the the people were like huh like it's a homicide it's a murder why is it just like a crime a crime unit immediately the two lead suspects were justin smart's father the kid that was in the house and who was alive and he was actually the neighbors of the sharps his name was martin smart and he had a friend in town his friend, John Bo Budabay, who is an ex-convict, he was known to have connections to organized crime in the area. Uh-oh, this is
0: some Tony Soprano shit. Uh-huh. Mm. Give me a meatball. Yeah.
4: Allie? yeah fade to
0: black. Give me a meatball. Fade to black. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 God. Is that your impression of The Sopranos?
0: Yeah, that's the finale <laughs> of The Sopranos. Give me some meatballs. Boo, boo, boo. Fade to black.
4: It was actually cut to black.
0: Cut to black. Well, I've never seen it. Was it a cut it. or was it a fade? Oh, yeah, it was
4: a cut. It was a cut. Was hard a cut. cut. Yeah. It was a cut. 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 It was a hard cut.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like the ending. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it made sense, you know. I've never seen a single episode of The Sopranos, but oh, I got I got the gist. I got the gist. I'm oh, Tony. But
2: it's it's so good. It's about Tony who's like in therapy.
0: Yeah, I'm Tony. Tony.
2: Yeah, you love therapy, Allie. Yeah, yeah, give me a
0: Sam. Give me a meatball sub. I'm Tony. I'm in the mob.
2: Yeah, he does say that <laughs> at some point. Uh, okay, so so these two guys, Martin Smart and Bo, they had been seen in suits and ties behaving oddly in the bar the night before the murders. Mm. Like, what do you do to wearing a suit and tie? And to a bar in the middle of the woods. Yeah, that's no good. What are you doing? Yeah. Suspect. So Martin Smart later told the police that he had a hammer that matched the one discovered and also that his hammer had gone missing shortly before the murders. He was like, oh, yeah, that looks like my hammer. It went missing. I'm like, why would you say that? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Later that year, a knife was recovered from a trash can outside the Keddie General Store, and the police think this item is linked to the crimes as well. But then, it would be three years after these murders until they found Tina, the 12-year-old. So, a man discovered a human skull in Butte County, about 30 miles from Keddie, and then near the remains, the detectives also found a child's blanket a blue nylon jacket, a pair of jeans with a missing back pocket, and an empty surgical tape dispenser. Ooh. So that ended up being the remains of Tina Sharp. Oh. But what before they figured out that this was Tina Sharp, because they just assumed like, oh, this is unrelated, like this is just like a body, the Butte County Sheriff's Department received an anonymous call that said, I was wondering If you thought the murder up in Keddie a couple years ago where a 12-year-old girl was never found is related to this, like someone called them with a tip when they heard they found the body, they're like, oh, yeah,
3: that could be
2: related. So that's suspicious that someone was like, oh, yeah, it's probably her. Yeah. But then Sheriff Thomas resigned from the investigation three months in, and he took a job at the Sacramento Department of Justice. His handling of the case... Uh, like, looking back, is, like, disastrous and corrupt. What else is new? What else is new? Sheila Sharp, in an interview in 2016, she said, I was told the suspects were to get out of town. So to me, that means it was covered up. Like, she heard that the that's the that's this detective told the suspects, you better get out of town for a while. Uh, what? Yeah, you yeah. can't say that. Well, you can. You can. <laughs> and, say and he did.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, Thomas you you did. can. I guess you could say whatever you want. Good, good point. And good point.
2: then their home, the cabin, was demolished in two thousand four.
0: Now, let's take a quick break for announcements. Webcrawlers has a Patreon. To get access to rewards, bonus episodes, video episodes, ad-free episodes a day early, please go to patreon.com slash webcrawlers. You can donate as little as $2 a month to become one of our bimbo patrons. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Also, please shop at our web store, webcrawlerspod.com, or hothorse.horse, if you're nasty. If you're nasty. Nay! Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Erios has a hotline. Insert jingle here. 626-604-6262 we are pretty much caught up now so please call 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 and don't forget the web crawlers <laughs> contest no web
4: crawlers challenge the web crawlers contest real. challenge
0: where no. whoever leaves the longest voicemail maria is going to give them 30 million dollars <laughs> no. and you, and you get to live with maria for a year yeah so make sure make sure that you leave as She'll long for a voice what as you wish for yeah <laughs> don't tempt me with a good time <laughs>
2: Okay, so here's all this evidence. The tape of this anonymous tip regarding Tina was found sealed in case files untouched by the Sheriff's Department until 2013 when the case was reopened with new investigators, Sheriff Greg Hagwood and Special Investigator Mike Gamberg. Ooh, they're good. Yeah, those you've Hagwood good. and Gamberg. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> you've heard of them?
0: Yeah, Rizzoli and Isles.
2: Yes. So in 2016, Gamberg found a hammer, believe she wanted the murder weapons, in a dried up pond in Keddie. So as soon as these new investigators took over, they're like, there's something, something's up with this. So we gotta, something, we gotta look into this. Also, it came to light that Marilyn Smart, who's Martin Smart's wife, and the mother of Justin, the kid who was found at the house, who was alive, had left her husband on the day of the murder. Huh. So... Afterward, she gave the detectives a handwritten letter sent to her and signed by her husband. It read, I've paid the price of your love, and now that I've bought it with four people's lives, you tell me we are through. Great. What else do you want? Uh,
0: what?
2: Like that's a confession, right? Like why would yeah. you why would you write that and send it to your wife if you didn't just murder four people? Yeah, what? So the letter was not treated as a confession, nor was it followed up on at the time. How? Why? Incompetence? Even though Marilyn admitted in a 2008 documentary that she thought her husband and his friend Beau were responsible, Sheriff Doug Thomas contradicted this and said that Martin had successfully passed a polygraph test, which, like, that doesn't mean anything. Polygraph yeah. tests are garbage. And it was later confirmed that Martin Smart was friends with this sheriff.
0: Of course he was. He's a dirty cop. You can smell it from a mile away. He's a dirty cop. He's a dirty cop.
2: So then in 2016, Investigator Gamberg, the Rizzoli, the Rizzoli of the, the, team, <laughs> of the two, met with a counselor at the Reno Veterans Administration. So this counselor told him that in May 1981... Two months or one month after the murder, Martin Smart had confessed to killing Sue and Tina Sharp. He said, I killed the woman and her daughter, but I didn't have anything to do with the boys. And when the Department of Justice was alerted to this confession in 1981, they dismissed it as hearsay. What? So they were told about this confession. (laughs) Why didn't they look into it at least? Because they were they were friends. The lead investigator was corrupt. So some theories are the most popular one involves a love triangle between Martin, his wife, Marilyn, and Sue. Uh-oh. So it's believed that Martin and Sue were having an affair and that Sue was supposedly trying to convince Marilyn to leave her husband, who she said was abusive to her. So then when Martin figured this out, he called up his ex-con friend, Bo. Bo's also a known mob enforcer who had lived with the Smarts just for 10 days before the murders. Like, he just got into town a week and a half before the murders. And he, some say that Martin had him come to take Sue out, if you know what I mean.
0: Oh, I know what you mean. I've seen The Sopranos.
2: Yes, (laughs) you've seen. So
0: this would also make sense
2: for Marilyn leaving her husband the day of the murder discovery. And it would also explain why Justin Smart, the boy, and the other boys in the room were not killed. Yeah. Because why were they unharmed? If there's some crazy murderer coming into this house, why would they leave these three boys unharmed? And also, it makes sense, that handwritten note that Marilyn got. Like, it makes so much sense. So then the investigators who picked up the case when it reopened in 2013, they tied these murders to an even larger plot. To Gamberg, he said that the Department of Justice... Du- ju- why can't I say justice? <laughs> <laughs> department of Justice and uh, Sheriff Thomas, his department covered it up. He alleges that Bo and Martin were in this larger drug smuggling scheme that involved the federal government. Oh, shit. And that Bo could have been an FBI informant. <gasps> Interesting. So Bo was potentially working with the FBI, and that Martin was this known drug dealer, and Bo was connected to the Chicago crime syndicates with financial interests in drug dis- distribution. So he's part of the Chicago mob. Oh shit! And this sh- this Sheriff Thomas was getting getting kickbacks. Oh fuck! So that would explain why there's the Sacramento Department of Justice sent two allegedly corrupt organized crime special agents instead of agents from the Homicide Department.
0: Yes, that would, uh, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And it also
2: provides an explanation as to why the two lead suspects were seemingly given a free pass and told to leave town by Sheriff Thomas.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's insane. You're supposed to say the opposite to suspects. Right. You're supposed to say, don't leave town. Give me your passports. Don't leave town. Don't leave town right now.
2: So then that all explains why the case was handled so sloppily, remains unsolved, and just like not a priority to the Sacramento Department of Justice. Justice. Mm. Although both Martin Smart and his ex-convict friend Bo are now dead, there has been new DNA evidence that have pointed to other suspects who may have had a hand in these murders and who are still alive. So the case is kind of still open. I mean, it seems obvious that it's those two guys. Yeah. And then another theory is that the suspects may have targeted Tina, the girl who was kidnapped. So the police investigated a bunch of other people, including Sue Sharp's ex-husband and father of the five Sharp children. Uh, Sheila stated that her father was abusive towards Sue and all the children, She claims that he molested her and Tina before Sue, like, packed up and left him. Oh, shit. And Sheila said that Tina was known as their father's favorite. So because Tina was abducted rather than found dead at the scene, the police thought she might be the target of the attack. Oh. But it turned out to be a dead end because James Sharp, the ex-husband, he had an airtight alibi. He was in, like, Connecticut at the time. So he... Was her suspect. And then the police also investigated Tina's teacher at Quincy Elementary. This is weird. He had like a weird fixation with Tina and had her photo on his desk at work and in his house.
0: Uh, you can't do that.
2: Yeah, it's weird. He, the teacher did have an alibi, but the police were definitely suspicious of him. Because he was later arrested for child abuse in a different state. So, like, he was a creepy-ass teacher. They don't think he did this murder, but, like, gross.
0: Yeah. Let me tell you, as a former elementary school teacher, it <laughs> you is not... Have pictures of your student. You no, know, imagine house. if I had pictures of my student, uh, of one student, of one male student on my desk and around my house. I would my friends would be like hey ali this ain't right like that's not no 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 that should be illegal that period that's so fucking weird yeah it's
2: so strange so that's like a weird thing that like might not lead anywhere but it's just like such a weird yeah but still that ain't right it's
0: weird also poor tina they actually yeah. the the statistics are that if you've been uh, sexually assaulted once, that you're unfortunately you're more likely to be sexually assaulted a, a second time. Um, Ugh, yeah, awful. just because like predators can sniff sniff you out. Um, oh God! Yeah, but it's it's that's that's scary. Oh God! Yeah,
2: and then the suspects might have been serial killers. Oh, so Otis. Toole and Henry Lee Lucas, the famous serial killers, happened to be traveling through Northern California on the time of the murders. And they were also investigated. Uh, The boxcar killer was living just a few miles away in Quincy and committed dozens of crimes in the area from 1979 to 1986.
0: But he was ruled out as a suspect. You know what I was thinking of when you said that? I've never heard of the boxcar killer i was thinking the boxcar children that oh yeah that that series of books i was like they killed people that's crazy i thought it was like (laughs) but okay the boxcar killer uh
2: yeah like so the case eventually went cold they only took like a little bit of hard evidence from the scene of the crime because like Mm. dna wasn't a thing so like they weren't like looking into taking fingerprints or anything and Detective Hagwood said, it's my belief that there were more than two people who were involved in the crime, the disposal of the evidence and the abduction of the little girl were convinced that there are a handful of people that fit those roles who are still alive.
0: It's crazy. I just Googled DNA testing wasn't invented until 1984. That's oh. so that's so recent. It's I mean, so cra- You'd think it's just been around forever, but it, I know. I mean, that's it's so wild. I mean, I was born in 1986. I'm 35, so it's like only a few what thirds. Yeah. So, it's 37 years old. I mean, that's crazy.
2: Yeah, that's nuts. So there's t- <laughs> there's two movies based on this. Oh, and I watched them both. Whoa, really? There's one called Cabin 28. Oh, that's new, isn't it? What year was it from? 2017. Oh, Oh. it is truly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh, no, really? Well, it's the acting is so bad. It's I think it was filmed like overseas because like all the actors are British, but they're all trying to do American accents. And one guy sounds like foghorn leghorn like that's that's incredible that's his american (laughs) accent and one woman has like a southern like a new orleans accent and it's it's just so bad
4: but they're supposed to be in california yes because (laughs) (laughs) yes
0: i always say that bad horror is like porn adjacent like i think they use porn actors in very bad horror it's, Not well, that it's, I, like, yeah. recognize them from porn, but it has, like, the same vibe yeah. to it. Like, very low-budget, like,
2: bizarreness. And then there's a movie called The Strangers that came out in
0: 2008. With Liv Tyler. Oh, that's, that's Tyler. a famous movie, yeah. That
2: one's, like, that one's okay. That was, that's a pretty good horror. That's a solid horror movie.
0: Yeah, that's great. The Strangers
2: is a great movie. It wasn't... It's inspired by... The Keddy murder. So it's not like really about it, but
0: pretty good. Solid horror true. movie. They also made a sequel to that called The Strangers Prey at Night. Um, oh, yeah, I saw that. Another great movie along those lines is Funny Games.
2: Oh,
4: If
0: you've ever oh, seen God, that.
4: Yeah.
0: And you know, that's a remake oh, of. Yes. Of, uh, another
4: movie i funny games is so good i mean i don't love it it's like horrific but it's such a well-made movie and naomi watts is out of control good
0: yes and it's a remake of what is it like a danish or something uh it's the same director it's michael haneke yeah and he he made it he remade it shot for shot he said that he would only redo it if he could do it like shot for shot so it's the exact same i've never seen it
4: Oh, it's so good, Melissa. I think you'd really like it. It's like, basically, it's like a family goes to like this really nice home for like a vacation and then just trouble follows them.
2: Love when families go to vacation homes and then horrible shit happens.
0: And Melissa, (laughs) horrible, (laughs) horrible horrible stuff happens. My (laughs) doppelganger's in it. Michael Pitt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're separated at birth, twin. <laughs> yeah, my twin brother, Michael Pitt. <laughs> How old um, is Michael Pitt? <sighs> How old, old Ali is Yeah, he was born March 9, 1986. Let's see. <laughs> oh, Pitt, <laughs> oh, he was born <laughs> in 81. Yeah, he's, he's he, yeah, it, it, my it, my mom took a really long time giving birth to both of us. So we're okay. twins, but it was just like a, a five year long birth.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, Wow. Well, what yeah, a crazy that's... story. If you guys have any other stories to tell us about cabin murders, horror movies you like, other cabin things murders. like this. Or if you have a theory about maybe who done it, Melissa, where can people reach us? You can email us at <gasps> webcrawlerspod at gmail.com. You're gonna die. I just <laughs> I just Googled Michael Pitt and he does have a sister, and guess what her name is? Is it Allie? (laughs) Yes! He has a sister named Allison Pitt. Is it spelled like you?
4: Yes! You? Oh, my God. And does she look just like you?
0: I'm trying to find... I I don't know. There's no pictures of her, it seems. Oh, she's not... I can't tell. I can't tell, like... Because there's a lot of Allison Pitts. There's, like, no pictures of them together. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> this is crazy. We gotta see what... I know. ...Alison Pitt looks like. Alison Pitt's podcast credits and interviews? What if she's a podcaster? There's an Alison Pitt podcaster who is a... She has daily Star Trek news. Ooh, she's a Trekkie. She's a Trekkie. How do we find out? Stacey. Oh, God. Okay, well, if you know... If you can find a picture of Michael Pitt's sister. <laughs> sister, that's actually the most important thing. If you yes. know what my if you know what Michael Pitt's sister Allison looks like, please, we really need you to to get in asap, please. Um, all right, uh, I am Allison, not Michael Pitt's sister <laughs> Siegel. I'm
2: Melissa. Love a family being tortured in a cabin movie. Stetton Oh yeah.
4: And I'm producer Maria um, Michael Pitts, a good actor, Blasucci. He mm-hmm. is a good actor. All right. Bye. Bye.
1: An Erio's original.
4: Powered by Acast.